lovely notes of Giuseppe Verdi mean time for another edition of Serie A Sit Down, World Football Index's podcast of Calcio, told like it is, and always at the highest level. I'm Frank Cradello, happy to have you all back with us again, and as always, co-host Richard Carmen. Ciao, Richard. Ciao, Frank. How are we doing on this uh, lovely Monday night? Oh, it's a lovely Monday. I have got the Milwaukee beer product out. Um... I am celebrating uh, my, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll change topics real quick and talk baseball. My Milwaukee Brewers going into uh, Wrigley Field and beating the Cubs and grabbing home field advantage for the National League and uh, uh, pretty sweet times. And, uh, you know, Milan, Milan winning yesterday also was, uh, was pretty nice. So uh, uh, <laughs> plenty to celebrate. And we're coming for your Atlanta Braves, Richard. We're coming. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing well. I, Nats are out of the playoffs and Braves are in. I'm happy. So and obviously Milan won and uh, I can't. I couldn't be happier with that. So uh, yeah. it was a good weekend of football. So um, I'm excited to talk some Serie A here. Yeah, and we're going to have two guests. Uh, there ha- happened to be a really big game that happened on Saturday, um, and uh, we have a guest representing each team from that game. Um, you know, ladies first. Uh, she is making her. She is earning her first cap with the Serie A. Sit down, Richard. She is creator of In the Stands and Serie A Football Stars. She is co-host of Mondo Juve podcast, which I listened to for the first time, uh, I believe, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, uh, I- I enjoyed it and wanted to try to get someone from that podcast uh, to guest with us. And uh, glad she agreed to jump on board. We say ciao to Julia Vila. Welcome, Julia. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Uh, did, did I get the last name right? Yes, you did. It's Vila. Okay, good. <laughs> good. good. <laughs> well, uh, you know, welcome aboard. Uh, you know, a quick word about, uh, quick word for us about Mondo Juve, how that came about and how you uh, became a Juve supporter. Um, so basis, basically how I became a Juve supporter, I was about seven years old. First time I watched soccer ever or football. And uh, I saw Del Piero play for the first time. And automatically that struck me. And my father's a Juve supporter. I have a lot of Serie A fans in my household. You know, my mom's a Napoli fan. My brother's a Roma fan. And my sister's a Lazio fan. So it's a big household here for the Serie A. And uh, Mondo Juve, yeah. And uh, Mondo Juve got started through a friend of mine, uh, Pat Galacci. And uh, we basically run it through FNR Radio. And it was to start our interests that collided and their opinions. So we decided to start the podcast. Well, came in at a good time watching uh, watching a, a player like uh, Alessandro Del Piero, uh, most definitely uh, one of my favorite Italian players uh, to have watched through the years, no doubt about it. Uh, and uh, well, Juventus played Napoli on Saturday, and we do have a guest from the Napoli side, and uh, I believe he is earning his third cap uh, with the Serie A sit down. He can correct me on that when he has a chance. Uh, he's the co-host and editor of Sempre SSC Napoli. Freelance cultural writer, travel addict, beer lover, and stedaholic. We say ciao, ciao, and uh, welcome back to Ken Chopendi. Hey guys, it's yes, third cap, third cap. All right. So I'm excited to be back. You know, I wish uh, me and Julia were uh, the scripts were flipped a little bit, but it's okay. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm happy to be on, uh, Julia. I hope you and your mother are talking since she's a Napoli fan. I don't know, but. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if I could live in a household with a Juve fan. It would probably be a little tight, but yeah, it feels good. I feel pretty good. It's a, it's a crazy week for a couch. It felt like a really long match week. We had matches Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. So pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 
Quick word, uh, Ken, on uh, you know what's going on. We, we've had uh, you and many of the uh, Sempe guests on in the past, uh, so the, our listeners are, are clearly familiar with your podcast. Uh, but how did you know? I don't think we've ever asked how you became a Napoli supporter. Well, it's sort of a weird thing. My my maternal grandmother is from Napoli, and um, her side of the family were the only ones that were really into soccer or calcio. And then you know, none of our family really watched too much soccer as we were growing up but we always used to watch the world cup together and when i was four or five right around five years old was the 1990 world cup and uh my grandmother sort of introduced me to diego maradona and uh then it was a little bit hard for me to watch napoli games after that as i don't speak italian and i know for a while we were in and out of city a and city b and went through you know, bankruptcy and all the rest of it. Um, so I s- really started getting back into Napoli hardcore, I think our first year back in Serie A. And, you know, I guess the the rest is history, as they say. Excellent stuff. Excellent stuff to uh, uh, to share that with us. Thank you, Ken. Um, well, uh, you, the, Juventus is in first, Napoli's in second, top of the table clash, as we've uh, come to expect for the last couple of years. We're going to jump right into uh, talking about that game. Um before I get into you know some of the highlights here, let's talk about the teams that were selected. Julia um, uh, Allegri selected a rather familiar uh, lineup uh, with Chesney and goal, a back line of Cancelo, Bonucci, Chiellini, and Alexandro. Midfield of Emery Chan, Mirlan Pjanic, and Blaise Matuidi with uh, Paulo Dybala, Cristiano Ronaldo, and Mario Mandzukic in attack. Uh, thoughts when that lineup came out uh, you know, an hour before kickoff? You know, it's a pretty straightforward lineup. It's kind of what we expected from him, um, especially after seeing Dybala play in the general lineup. I had no doubt in my mind that he was going to start against Napoli. And it's our pretty full-force lineup. I mean, we, we do have the depth on the bench, but I expected nothing less than what Allegri put out. Excellent. And then uh, for Napoli, uh, Ken, it was Ospina in goal, Husai, Raul Albiol, Khalidou Koulibaly, and Mario Rui across the back. Uh, midfield of Marek Hamšík, Allen, and Piotr Zielinski. Uh, and uh, Ancelotti opted for Dries Mertens as the false nine with Insigne and Callejon flanking him. Um, bit of a, a departure for Ancelotti because he's trusted Milik. Uh, so your thoughts on him going with Mertens from the start? It was... I, I felt and I talked to the to you know the Sempre team when you know we have a little chat going and I thought he would go Mertens... Only because he's been Ancelotti in sort of the opposite way of Maurizio Sarri has been rotating his lineup pretty heavily. And, you know, he's sort of been going with this 4-2-3-1, 4-4-2, 4-3-3 hybrid. Um, and it kind of looked like a 4-4-2 to start, which we've been kind of expecting recently. There wasn't any surprises in the lineup, but he's been playing so many different players that... Um, that I wasn't exactly sure how we'd go, but if I had to draw it up before the match, it's probably what I thought, even though, you know, I think before the match we were all asking, you know, did he make the right decision with Milik, with Mertens over Milik? And, you know, obviously Mertens scores early, so can't really can't really fault him for the initial lineup anyway. And then, you know, I think maybe after the game was over, there were more questions than before the game started. And that goal is where I'm going to get to to start the highlights. Uh, Juventus trying to play the ball out of the back. Napoli uh, pressing a little higher than maybe what we might have been used to so far under Ancelotti, but certainly 
uh, the Napoli players out there, no stranger, uh, you know, to those tactics whatsoever. Uh, in an attempt to try to work their way into the middle third of the pitch, Alan jumped in on a pass, uh, played the ball to Jose Callejon, and then this happened. Here's Alan for Napoli as Callejon makes his way into the box. Great move, and it's tucked home by Dries Mertens, and Napoli lead in Turin. Dries Mertens giving the uh, away giving the away side the lead by a goal to nil. Uh, Ken, uh, you know, I've kind of said this off and on with Napoli, and uh, I'd like to get your thoughts on this. You know, Ancelotti certainly trying to massage what he likes to do and, and, and integrate his methods into this Napoli team, but um, you can. This is a group that you know they can go to Saudi ball whenever they want, and Ancelotti will be fine with it. And in this case, they did. Yeah, super high press to start the match. I, I really thought Napoli maybe had the perfect fifteen to twenty minutes to start the match. They really came out and show and initially showed that they you know weren't going to play you know all behind the ball and, and and let Juve dictate the play at all. They they forced Benucci into you know, a pretty bad mistake. Alan pounces on the ball, you know, sees Callejon through Callejon with a beautiful cutback to Mertens and Napoli are up one nil, you know, in the first 10 or 11 minutes there. And you start thinking, Hey, you know, maybe we're going to start to get something going here. And I, like I said, I really thought the first 15 or 20 minutes, uh, Ancelotti really got the, the tactics right. But, uh, sort of as we've gone through this sort of, as Ancelotti has started, we haven't gotten a full 90-minute performance yet, and I think maybe that's my one, the biggest qualm I have so far with Ancelotti is that we haven't quite put it together yet. We've seen, you know, blips and we've seen 20 to 30-minute stretches, but, you know, as far as the initial goal goes, you know, this is letting the guys press high and force them into a mistake, and they take advantage and take the lead early. Yeah, and and uh, certainly uh, to get the lead, a boost of confidence there for Napoli. Julia, uh, on this goal, uh, you know, where do you point the blame? Is it just overall, uh, were they overall too slow, too casual playing out of the back and just uh, maybe getting uh, caught off guard by Napoli trying to press them so high? Oh, absolutely. You know, you blame everybody. The pass is within the first 20, 25 minutes. It was, it was disastrous. I mean, we were giving balls away left, right, and center, and Napoli's press right at the front of the game. It was just, it was marvelous, and that's, evidently what happens forcing Benucci to give away a bad pass and you know it's it, it was unfortunate but you got to give credit to Napoli for that it was, it, it, indeed so that would be uh you know and, and to Ken's point Napoli certainly the better team maybe through the first 15 20 minutes of the game but eventually Juventus would get into this game um and in the 26th minute the uh, the ball found its way to Cristiano Ronaldo on the left flank and this would happen what can he conjure up here, Ronaldo? The cross to Mandzukic! 1-1, made by Ronaldo, and scored by Mario Mandzukic. Mario Mandzukic heading home uh, to equalize uh, for the Bianconeri and Julia. Um, there's a little, I mean, there's a perceived urgency and expectation for how many goals Cristiano Ronaldo should score. But I think what's flying under the radar is that... Um, He's been, you know, he's 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 certainly taking his share of shots. There's no doubt about it. But I think an underrated value to him that's worked out well for Juventus is he's been provider because he's got a number of assists this season so far. Absolutely, he's been incredibly selfless. You know, he even though he had taken a number of shots, I think he took like nine or ten shots in that game. But nonetheless, every assist that he has provided has 
resulted in a goal. And I think that especially the game against Napoli, this is probably his best uh, game in, in for Juventus so far this season. And just the way he progressed and pushed the Napoli defense, it was it was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ken, on this goal, just kind of watching the replays and watching how it developed, and it just quick comment about David Ospina uh, in goal so far for the Partenope. I, I thought maybe, and, and maybe I'm being harsh on him, but uh, I found the I found his reactions in this in this particular situation to be a little on the slow side. I think could not. Gotten, could he have yeah, gotten to that? Yeah, probably. I, you know, I have trouble really placing blame on too many Napoli goalkeeper. You know, the two Napoli goalkeepers that have played so far, it's been, I think it's just been a lot to ask of any goalkeeper to come into a team that's, that knows each other as well as this team does. And, you know, Ancelotti's trying to find out whether it's Ospino or Carnetsis. And obviously we have Alex Medit who's injured and it's really been sort of a going back and forth. So I think we are lacking a little bit of continuity as far as goalkeeper to backline communication is concerned. And this goal, I think, for me, Ospina maybe could have gotten there, but this whole match, Ronaldo turned El Cid Hisai inside out all match, and it was yep. the biggest match ma- mismatch on the pitch. I thought Hisai was brutal. Very, very, very poor in this match. I thought Ronaldo took him to school, and you know Ronaldo got three assists in the game, all, co- you know, all coming from that side. So Hisai... Very, very, very bad game for us. Both of the both of the fullbacks had very bad games. Mm. Actually, yeah. Richard, you can be mediator on this one. I have no doubts about this. I actually, th- I, I'm going to go along with what Ken said and to a, to a point, Julia. Um, and it's not because of his name and because of his brand, but Cristiano Ronaldo was the best player on the pitch in this game. Would you agree? Yeah, no, he was he's absolutely the most influential player, uh, as Ken said. I mean, the stats say two assists, but I'll give him three assists. Um, he he was brilliant in the game, and anytime he had opportunities, he took advantage of it. I mean, his free kick nearly scored as well. So uh, all around, this he was taking advantage of Husai, just like Ken was saying, and um, really putting it, putting a lot of pressure on on Napoli defense, trying to stop not only him but also the guys around him that he can just kept finding. I found Manzukic, you know, but a couple times and and the link up play that he was having. Uh, he he had a monster game for sure. Julia, a quick one here before I get into the kind of this, into the second half goals. If there was a a weak leak in this Juventus team uh, over the past couple of seasons, it had been their midfield, and most notably Sami Kadira, uh, you know, where the Bianconeri midfield would would get o- overrun quite often by teams, especially when you'd see it certainly more in the Champions League uh, than you would see it in Serie A. Um, Talk about Emery Chan a little bit because I think that his performances are are also something that are flying under the radar when you talk about the uh, the overall collective with Juve. Of course, I mean he's such an influential player and he's consistent for us, especially the games that he has played. But he just works so well in our midfield with Pjanic and with Matuidi, and he is underrated, especially because we we even saw throughout the Napoli game that his pressing alone, he drags defenders with him. And I think that even though he didn't get the assist on that goal, because clearly it was Ronaldo, but drawing three defenders away from Mandzukic is just something that you wouldn't normally see Kadira do. And I think that Emery Chan as well does a lot more defensively and offensively both. So that it allows Pjanic to push up the field far more. Yep. Indeed. And it certainly, uh, you know, made a difference in how that midfield has functioned for Juve. It would be 1-1 at halftime 
Uh, but in the second half was where some of the interesting stuff would really happen. Um, Ju Juventus uh, does hit on the break. They eventually find Cristiano Ronaldo uh, on the left-hand side. He he takes it. He takes a shot. Uh, it beats Espina. It does not beat the post, but it falls nicely to this guy. Now Ronaldo, and there's that right-footed shot, and it's a tap-in for Mario Mandzukic. His second of the game. Ronaldo predictably involved again, and Juventus have turned it all around in Turin. Mandzukic again with the easiest of finishes. Um, you know, this obviously was a little bit more, you know, indirect, but uh, there's an interesting connection here, Julia, on some of these goals now between Ronaldo and Mandzukic. They seem to, they seem to be establishing a bit of a partnership here. Absolutely. And their relationship is only going to grow far more. And at the beginning of the season, we saw that there was, they were kind of having issues. And I think that was due to Ronaldo just trying to get used to Serie A in general. But now it's just becoming so much stronger. And I think that Ronaldo, especially being the selfless person that he is for Juventus, he's finding Mandzukic so much more and they're creating so many more chances. Absolutely. And Ken, defensively for now, weren't there in the you know in the counter players recovering I mean what 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 things would you have changed to maybe try to help prevent that goal from happening you know I think I feel like maybe the you know not Napoli were just a little bit overrun in the midfield I think having Dybala as a player who is sort of sitting in between the lines a little bit causing a little bit of havoc between Alan and Hamshik and Albiol and Koulibaly I also think that Maybe we need Napoli fans need to start if we're going to go continue to go four four two or four two three one however we want to go. I, I I do wonder how much longer Matakamshik is a guaranteed start, and I know that some Napoli fans are going to blast me for that, but I feel like we need someone with a little bit more balance to their game. I thought maybe Fabian should have gotten a chance to start in this one. I know another big game, but. You know, in the second goal, I feel like this is a combination of, you know, we give Ronaldo too much space. We get a little unlucky as Ospina gets both of his hands to it, but just can't push it around the post, pushes it to the post, and then it bounces right to Mandzukic on the other side of the goal. So a little unlucky, but I do think Napoli turned off after maybe the first 25 or 30 minutes. And I thought after Juve equalized, we sort of got caught in our heads a little bit and, uh, up until maybe the red card for Mario Rui, uh, we were really on the back foot before we, we got some extra chances. I'm going to get to that red card in a second. Richard, I want you to answer for me. Um, did, this game ex did this game expose Merrick Hamsik's lack of experience in that Regista role? Uh, a little bit, yeah. Um, you know, I didn't think he did that terribly. Um, he obviously could have done a lot better. It was, he was no Jorginho in that in, the, in that position, but um, I've seen worse games from him in a, in, a, in, a, in a similar role. Um, I thought he could have done a lot better. That would help the team for sure because uh, they they weren't getting enough opportunities or, or, or great opportunities to score goals. They had their opportunities, but they just weren't clinical in this game. And and part of that you can blame on Merrick Hamshik not creating enough, not stopping that clogging up the middle enough uh, and preventing Juventus from, from getting their opportunities. Uh, Ken, you mentioned uh, you mentioned Fabian and certainly he's off to a decent start at Napoli, but how about Diawara? Is this a, is this a, would this have been a game for him? It's, it's such a weird time for the whole Napoli midfield as, as Ancelotti has come into place here and started to 
you know, I think as, as you said, Frank massage his tactics in, I think that traditional regista role is becoming a hole too hard to fill. And I think that, you know, we've gone sort of a flat four, four, two, the last couple of weeks. And I think we're going to see that continue. So I think we're going to, I think there's a space for Diavada on this team. I just don't, I don't know. I think when he was at Bologna, he wasn't quite a regista. He was a little, a guy who was a little bit more to go forward a little bit, but also track back. And I think maybe he can rotate into Alan's position, even though I think Alan is probably Napoli's most important player as it stands right now. Yeah. Uh, even more important than Lorenzo Insigne, as good as he's been. I think Alan is the glue that holds the whole team together, really. Uh, but I think that, you know, we have tried Diawara with Alan. I think he still has a place on this team, but I, I think that it's going to take a little bit more time under Ancelotti. And I think that's part of the reason that even after we lose a match of this magnitude so early on in the season, I find myself kind of like Carlo said last week that he's just tranquil and we're just going to, I don't feel as, you know, completely, you know, distraught as I feel like I would have at different times. I feel like Napoli are in a state of slow and steady growth this season and that we just have to sort of roll with the punches a little bit. I can go with that. I definitely agree with your assessment of Allen too. Uh, you know, in terms of everything that you said there. Okay, so now let's get to the incident where I'm really interested in getting our guests' takes. Um, uh, Mario Rui uh, appears to uh, uh, dig his cleats into Paulo Dybala. Uh, re- replay certainly suggests that a second yellow sending off Mario Rui. Um. The one problem that I have here, Richard, is as is the as is, is the one that's neutral on this. The one problem that I have with Luca Bonti, it, it looked like for a second he was ready to just let that go, and then all of a sudden he changed his mind and blew the whistle and gave gave Mario Rui a second yellow. Was that weird to you? It was weird. I think ultimately it was the right call, but it was weird because it almost looked like he waited to see Dybala's reaction, and then and then was like, oh, I got I to give you a yellow and a red. Uh, but oh when you look at the replay, <laughs> when you look at the replay though, it was an obvious correct call. Um, Mario Reed, it was a stupid foul on him and, and went right for the ankle and got him. So it was a deserved call. But it, it was odd to me how he delayed making that call. It was, um, yeah. I mean, how how Bonte ended up going about it, the optics weren't very good. He ended up getting it right, I think. This is certainly an issue where VAR would have definitely come into play and it would have been looked at. Um, Julia, your thoughts Your thoughts on the incident? I mean, it was kind of sloppy all around. Um, I do believe that he deserved the yellow card. Again, he was very hesitant to give it. And then we see after, you know, the whole Bonucci and Allen incident. So it, all of it together was just a very sloppy interaction. And I think that it could have been dealt with a lot more cleanly had they gone to VAR. I'm not a huge fan of facing 10 men just because I know the Juve side to us, we shut down, but it is what it is and um, it happens. So Yeah, I mean, it, it ended up taking, it, it ended up in, in, in most part taking the air out of the game. I mean, shortly after that, Jose Callejon had a great chance to equalize um, on, a, uh, on a chance that... Uh, I thought he should have hit first time, Ken. I think, if I'm not mistaken, he brought it back over to his right foot, and that gave Chesney just enough time to set. Let's talk about that that particular play real quick. Do you agree with me there before jumping back to the rest of this this skirmish that happened? Yeah, you know, this is uh, – it was one of those moments where 
I thought we, after the red card, we sort of solidified ourselves and got ourselves into a great position. And I think Cajon just has a tiniest bit of trouble controlling the ball on the first touch and then sort of stumbles with a little bit and it gives uh, Chesney just enough time to collect himself and Cajon can't quite get it past him. And, you know, it's one of those matches for Cajon. He gets a great assist and then also, you know, sort of has a huge chance and, and flubs it a little bit. And, you know, I felt like Napoli had a couple chances in this match. You know, I think early on before we even scored a goal, Zielinski hit the post too. So, yep. I mean, it's uh, the the red card. I, I thought even though we did sort of solidify right after, I, you know, that that sort of thing never never is good for your team in the longer term of a match, even though it was only, you know, 25, 30 minutes. I thought initially we had a five-minute burst and then – sort of realized uh, we're down to 10 men here and and Juve sort of you know capitalized again. I do think that just to sort of go back to the Mario Rui red card or you know second yellow, I think it's one of those things. The second yellow is a deserved yellow and a second red and Mario Rui needs to A understand that he's on a yellow card and mm-hmm. B he has a he has you know he does tend to do this where he gets a yellow card and doesn't re- like doesn't play like he has a yellow and gets a second yellow. But I thought the first yellow he got in the first hat earlier in, in the game was total bunk. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, it, he, he shouldn't have gotten the first yellow card and it made me annoyed that he got sent off. But he also has to realize the time of the game, your opponent and, you know, the situation that you're in being on a yellow and, and the second yellow was deserved and we go down to 10 men. Although the yeah. rush, rush, of the rush of blood of the head there, and an incident and a challenge that and challenge in an area of the pitch they really didn't have to make. Exactly, um, which yeah. is which has in to the be opponent's more, half. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> which which has to be even more frustrating. Okay, now to the now to the Benucci incident with Allen. Um, uh, you know, Richard, I'll start with you as the as, as a neutral on this. Um, we've seen where. That has um, we we we've seen where a player gets shown red in an incident like that when it's reviewed, or at least the officials all have a chance to talk about it. Um, what's your take? I don't, you know, I think in the end, I'm I'm fine with the yellow because it, you know I think that Allen did make a little bit of a meal out of it. Was Bonucci wrong for approaching him the way he did? Yes, he was, but it wasn't. It wasn't out and out violent. Where are you on that? We've seen this before from Bonucci. As a repeat offender, I would not have had a problem with a, a red card. Now, with that said, the replay clearly shows it wasn't a malice uh, type header. He, he used it more to like push Alan. Um, I thought both deserved the yellow on that play because he made a meal of the of the, of the incident. Alan did, uh, so I thought he got a, he deserved that yellow there. But Bonucci fully deserved a yellow at minimum. Um, but like I said, he is. He's done this before, so I would not have been surprised had they given him a red card based on prior, you know, instances. But um, I think yellow card was fine on that play. He it was a stupid play. There's no reason your team is up at this point. There's no reason for him to do that. Um, I get if you get in his face, but no, any kind of action that your your head or any body parts moving towards another person is just ca- asking for a possible expulsion and definitely a card. So. Uh, he needs to be better than that. He he should know uh, as an experienced defender as he is. Um, you can't do that at a big game. One day that'll cost him. Um, and that Juve need him on the pitch to be you know to do the things that they do. Obviously they could probably do well at ten men, but 
you need to have all, all men on the pitch at, at, at all times. And Julie, I imagine you were holding your breath when that happened. I mean, it, it wouldn't, honestly, it would not have surprised me if a red card had gotten pulled out there. Though it was brought on by Allen, there's no reason for Bonucci to do that. And, and you know, it, he is a repeat offender, so it doesn't surprise me when he does these things, but it definitely doesn't make me any happier. Um, I'm still not 100% with Bonucci right now, so... You know, his performances lately haven't been the greatest, but doing something careless like that in a big match, only being up by one goal, is it, it would would have been tough for us. Is there a murmuring among Juve supporters for Benatti to be in that spot more regularly than Benucci? Uh, no. I mean, it's tough to say because, you know, we have the likes of Benatti on the bench, but Especially with what happened last year, I don't think fans really want Benatia covering Napoli again. <laughs> okay. <laughs> fair, fair enough. And uh, Ken, I'll give you a chance to sound off on that Bonucci incident and the incident between Bonucci and Allen and what you're taking. And, uh, you know, are, is, the yellow, is the yellow acceptable? Should it have been a red? What are your thoughts? I just think, well... I think that in the match, it was called very inconsistently. I think that there were a couple instances earlier in the match, not Benucci-related, but Chiellini has a handball, no yellow card. Alexandro blasts through the back of Hisai, no foul. Uh, and then this incident, I will politely disagree with Julia, that first Chiellini, um, Benucci puts his hands on Alan, and then Alan sort of pushes him away, and then Benucci comes back with his head. Doesn't hit him hard. Alan goes down easily. But I think they're sort of intent to sort of make contact. And I'm not going to say a yellow was undeserved, but I feel like given Benucci's past, I think that that is a, at the very least a borderline red card. I thought maybe that he would show red for that. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely going to be open to perception from everybody. And, uh, um, and, uh, you know, certainly there's going to be, there's going to be conflicting viewpoints of that incident because it could have, it could have meant 10 V 10, you know, which could have made things a little bit more compelling, but Benucci stayed on the pitch and then, uh, he scores uh, and <laughs> yep. Uh, and, uh, let's get to that highlight. Mandzukic remember on a hat trick and in there it's Ronaldo and at the back post, it was Leonardo Benucci. Rebound off of a Ronaldo header, or uh, Ronaldo actually gets the assist because he headed it down on the path, and Benucci slid it in to make it uh, three goals to one. And uh, uh, Julia, uh, you know, considering how Benucci left the club and now is back with Juventus, and just kind of the overall perception of Benucci, you kind of touched on it a little bit. It's going to take him about a dozen goals like this for him to to win everybody over again, isn't it? Oh, of course. And, you know, like I said before, his performances so far through the season haven't been that great defensively. And we saw that in the opening 20 minutes of the Napoli game. But his goal was perfectly timed run. It was a nice goal. But I mean, it's the way he left. It's just it's a disaster with Benucci right now. A lot of fans aren't happy. Um, deservedly. So it's going to take them quite a while to get back on the good graces of Juventus fans. Mm. Um, and Ken, uh, you know, between this and then Mandzukic's first goal, it's the same Achilles, Achilles heel here for Napoli defensively. And I mean, I know that the first, Mandzukic's first goal was in open play. 
But uh, defensively dealing with crosses and defensively dealing with aerial balls, aerial balls, regardless of who the manager is with this particular squad, it, it continues to be a problem for your team. I feel like it's been a problem for the last like eight years. So <laughs> I'm going to s- stop trying to figure out what the actual issue is. It doesn't matter the combination of players or manager or tactics. We just are not good at dead ball situations. It's been a problem for us since Matsadi was coach. So I don't really have much else to say about it besides that. It's always been an issue for us and, you know, doesn't seem to be changing this year. Yeah. Um, the match would end 3-1, Juventus winning. Um, a, a big win for the Bianconeri. And Richard, I'll bring you in as, as the one that doesn't have a dog in this hunt between the two teams. You have uh, We have guests here from each team, and I'll, add, I'll ask you to answer this question after match week seven with Juventus having a six-point lead over Napoli. Is this title race already over? <laughs> it, see, it would seem like that, but um, I don't think it is. Uh, Juve is bound to have a dip in form, and depend, it depends how big the dip is, what the teams be, behind them do. Now, that, that said, the win here definitely hurts everybody else's chances because have this big of a lead early on in the season is not good because uh, Juventus are that good. Uh, but um, I'm going to say it's still not it's not a done deal yet. And I, I have a very unpopular opinion about this match, and I'm sure everyone here is going to disagree with me. Um, so watching this game, this very well could be my tired eyes from, as being a new father. Uh, but watching this game, I actually think the best team did not win in the game visually. Um I think Napoli were the better team uh, passing in, 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 in most respect other than being clinical. They didn't finish their opportunities that they had while Juventus were absolutely destroying them when they had their opportunities. And I think that was the big difference in this game for me. Ronaldo was just overpowering Husai, like, like, like Ken was saying earlier. Um, and any, any good opportunity they had, they, they finished. The bounces went their way, you know. A shot off the post goes right to a you know, wide open Juventus player. Um, a scramble in the box. You, uh, Ronaldo gets a header on it. Bonucci gets to finish. I mean, they were clinical, absolutely. And that's what champions do. They find ways to win games. But I thought, visually and aesthetically, I thought Napoli would look the better of team, even when they went down to ten minutes for a brief moment before that that Bonucci goal came in. Um, so. It's, that's why I'm, that's why a, a reason why I'm saying this race is not over because um, I think Napoli could still get in this and who knows if a team gets hot maybe they can uh, catch Juve if they if they slip up a little bit so but that's a beauty in the eye of the beholder issue Richard and Julia yeah, no absolutely yeah Julia we we know what we get with Juventus under Allegri this is not going to be Maurizio Maurizio Sarri managed team this is not going to be what Pep Guardiola does with Manchester City they're not going out to beat teams 5 or 6 to nil Allegri's going out there win by maybe a goal or two but get his guys in there get his guys out of there rack up the three points and move on with life so you know you know I think Richard's talking about it from the optics standpoint here but uh, I going to disagree with that and yeah it's an unpopular opinion Richard I don't agree with it um which team imposed which well I, I agree with you on some things Richard but, <laughs> but Julia I mean this was this came down to okay uh irresistible Napoli immovable Juventus and 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 immovable prevailed once again right of course and I mean 
the thing with this game is there was different approaches from both sides from when we played each other last year and Napoli came out victorious. So the, the thing is, is Napoli never threw in the towel, but their task was so much harder once Mario Rui was sent off. And I think especially having Ronaldo and Mandzukic up front, dragging Napoli's midfield backwards, it broke the press that was applied effectively so early on. And, you know, that's not to say that Napoli didn't play well, because I think that this was a great performance against us. And, and, and they did have their chances and had, you know, the game, had Callihan tied up the game, I think it would have, it could have been a different game. Mm-hmm. Um, but n- that being said, I still think that the, the race isn't over yet. And it's probably looking like it's going to be Juventus-Napoli once again. Uh, I, I have I have no doubts about that because uh, you know and, and one one team we're going to talk about in particular a little bit later on in the podcast but it seems like everybody else beneath them are once again cannibalizing each other uh, you know Ken aside from people figuring out how to beat Juve including Napoli for the return game at the San Paolo uh, later on this season how does Napoli close these six this six point gap Well I think from a Napoli perspective I know at least. Myself personally, the way I think about it is, you know, we've we've had an absolutely ridiculous stretch to start the season. If you look at our fixture list, we've played, you know, a lot of I think almost every single team we've played so far, minus Parma, finished in the top half of the table last year. So we're starting off with a ridiculously hard schedule with a brand new manager. And we got our what I consider our most difficult fixture of the Serie A season out of the way in the first month and a half. You know, we've played Lazio, Milan, Fiorentina, even, you know, Torino, Samp. We, we've we've got a lot of our tough fixtures out of the way early here in the calendar, and I feel like Napoli are still finding their groove under Ancelotti. And I, th- I think that all things considered, I, as a Napoli fan, I'm pretty pleased with our start. I think, you know, it was always going to be difficult to get back-to-back wins at the J. And I don't know. I mean, even the most optimistic of Napoli fans, I don't know how much they thought we were going to come in and win two in a row. It would have been awesome. And we started off the match great. But I think, you know, I, I don't think that, that the race is over yet. I think Ancelotti is doing his thing. He's got Napoli have played every single healthy player has started a match besides Adam Unas so far. So in sort of anti sadi We've we've started to get other players involved, and Ancelotti starting to find, you know, the individual characteristics of these players that he likes, and and he's still figuring out who his best eleven is. Still, I think, in in my opinion, so six points behind, you know, only seven weeks in is tough, but I think Juve will slip up at some point, and I think Napoli will, at some point, will have one of those eight to ten game stretches where where they're where they run a little bit rampant. So I do think that. Come February, when the return fixture comes around, that this that the, it, won't, it won't be over yet. Um, and you know, to talk about that that, that team that Ancelotti is still getting it sorted out and figuring out what his best eleven is. Let's uh, let's let, let's ask you this: um, uh, Husai was run ragged by Cristiano Ronaldo. Is it now time for Malqui to take over that spot at right back? I think it's time to give Malqui a look. I think Malqui has played pretty darn well the, the first couple of matches he's gotten you know this past weekend he comes in at a you know a little bit of a misopportune time as you know Rui comes out of the match and he's sort of we're down to 10 minutes he's there but I think he offers something going forward that that Hisai cannot provide 
Uh, I thought in the match against Parma, we saw he was crossing the ball really well, which is not a strength of Hisai. He was making players on that side of the pitch make defensive decisions that we hadn't seen players have to do um, for the opposition anyway in the last couple of years. And I think I think that Malqui will press Hisai for that, for that starting right back spot. I think that he will get a much longer look. And I think that... You know, as much as Mario, Mario Rui has done a you know commendable job, I think that this team still does very much miss Fauzi Gulam, who should be back pretty soon. Excellent, and uh, yeah, and Gulam uh, certainly a player that can provide some influence for that Napoli team. Julia, uh, my last question for you, and then I'll ask see if Richard has a question for each of you on your teams. But um, Paulo Dybala, uh, you know, it's almost as if at a young age, his uh, his pro- his progression or his progress as a player has plateaued. He had a phenomenal season, you know, two seasons ago in helping lift Juventus to the Champions League final. Last season he had some he had some injury issues in there. He missed a few games. Um, you know, the season in general overall was meh. Douglas Costa's performances uh, in the second half of last season were a real factor in helping Juve get to that Scudetto. Um, you know what's going what what what's going on with DiBala because I feel like if he can get back to that form from from two seasons ago, a, a, a trio of him, Ronaldo and Mandzukic in particular, would be even more daunting than it looks on paper. You know, it's it's a tricky topic to discuss because a lot of fans are kind of split down the middle. You have those that love him and those that aren't very fond of him. But the problem with DiBala is I think that over the seasons he slowly deteriorated in his form because he's based himself up there with the likes of Ronaldo and Messi. And the problem with that is his confidence was soaring and he wasn't playing to those standards. So now you have him playing with no confidence. And when he played against Genoa, that was probably his best game of the season, arguably. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's tough because the way that Bernadeschi has been playing is he's slowly taking in the that role. And, and as the number 10, you would expect so much more from Dybala. And I, I, we saw him against Bologna, the way he just pressed everything, the way he took control. And that was something that Bernadeschi was doing all through last season before he got injured and all through this season right now. So the argument now is who do you start in that position? Is is it Dybala or do you put Berna up there? Because Dybala is not really consistent in his form as of right now. So, I mean, a lot of fans will tell you Berna, but I think until Dybala finds his place in the starting lineup and what formation works best for him, he won't be able to, to get back to that form. Ken, I got a, I got a question for you about Napoli. Um, it's, it's, it seems to me as each week goes by, Zelensky is getting better and better. Um, we saw him play in almost like a trecartista role with Poland uh, during the uh, the Nations League uh, break. Uh, do you see Ancelotti somehow trying to get him to play a, a similar position to that or maybe have a way to get both him and Verdi out there at the same time with that front three or whoever the front three is? Because uh, I think Zelensky is is inserted himself as 
while you while I agree with you, Alan is the is the best midfielder right now or, or the most important person for the team. I think Zelensky is, is stepping up to being one of the best players on that team. Obviously, Insigne is right now, and and then Mertens, Insigne, you can uh, and Callejon, you can talk about. But Zelensky is really stepping up his game. He's look he's starting to become like he he look like he could be a world class player. Yeah, I think it, it's kind of. It's kind of been an interesting journey for Zielinski, and I think that he Ancelotti has done a really interesting and fun job with getting all these players integrated in the team and trying to find out where he's going to play them. And and the way he's sort of been implementing Zielinski is sort of on the left side of like a weird modified four four two kind of deal, but he's giving him a lot of enterprise to sort of sort of tuck in or go out. And I think that. He's the type of player that needs a little bit of individual freedom, and I think we're finding that some players, as good as and as you know, sort of together as the Napoli team was under Sadi, some of these players just needed to be able to express a little bit of their individuality. And I think you see it in a player like Zielinski. I think you see it in a player like Adam Unas when he's come on. But I, I think Zielinski is on his way to becoming a a very, very, very good player. I mean, he's scored two goals already this season. He should have scored arguably against Juventus, um, you know, hitting a post pretty early on. And I just think that my only qualm with Zielinski is that he does find himself kind of getting anonymous in matches at times. And then he just does something. He also has the ability to just do something insane to bring your team back in it. You know, like the, the two, you know, the two goals he scored early on in the season, you know, I felt like he wasn't having a very good game and boom, boom, all of a sudden it's two, two and he scored twice. So, but no, I agree. I think he's gotten he's got a lot of the potential to become a very special player, and it's been interesting to see him move it around from central mid, and he played at left wing last year, and now he's sort of playing in this left midfield thing, you know, this you know sort of hybrid four four two that Ancelotti's playing, and it's 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 sort of keeping Verdi out of a out of a permanent job because I think Verdi's just going to take a little bit more time. I think you might see Verdi on the right a little bit to relieve Cajon. I think right. you might see him on the left. You're seeing a lot of players all over the pitch, so I'm not exactly sure where everyone's going to fit. But what I do like about Ancelotti and what he's been doing is he's been finding ways to get everybody involved. Julia, last week we had a, a panic or patience with the Juventus free kick takers. It seems that Ronaldo's almost having a monopoly with the free kicks, and we know how special kick takers Pjanic and, and Dybala are. Um, do you see foresee any kind of problem with with Ronaldo overtaking the majority of the of the of the free kick duties uh, with with Juventus here? Of course, I mean you know at the beginning, right when we signed Ronaldo, I knew this was going to be a problem just because you know Ronaldo is so keen on taking them, but we have arguably two of the best free kick takers in the world. So right. I mean, with the goals that both Pjanic and Dybala have scored just alone on free kicks was tremendous. And I think that the angles that he's trying to get and what he's trying to do is trying trying to get his goals. He's trying to force them through free kicks as well. But, I mean, Chani and Dybala, their numbers speak for themselves, and I think that they should be up there taking them. I, I don't have the stats to back me up on this, but I feel like in the last, let's just say, three years, both Pjanic and Dybala have scored more free kick goals uh, than Ronaldo has uh, over the as the years have gone on, his the goals that he's been getting from free kicks have been less and less. Um, so it, it's it's a it's a curious one, you know. With Allegri here, you got a 
an, an ego and, and a talent like Ronaldo, it's definitely going to be a hard thing. And then the other thing I'm, I was curious, I wanted to ask you, Julia, is it seems that Bernadeschi and Ronaldo are having this great partnership already with minimal amount of pitch time together. Um, we're seeing how Mandzukic is, is, is blending really well with, with Ronaldo, but how do you explain Bernadeschi and Ronaldo hitting, hitting it off so well? I mean, I think he's just portraying what we would have thought Dybala would have had together with Ronaldo. But I mean, Bernadeschi getting onto the pitch and that relationship with them, especially just right from the get-go, was phenomenal. And I think that because of Bernadeschi's motivation and passion for this team, it, it just drives them together in that relationship. So I, I only expect it to be to get better and better as the season progresses. All right, very good. Well, that was the uh, Juventus-Napoli matchup, a very mouth-watering matchup, but that was not actually the only big game of the weekend. We had a little derby we have to gonna get to now, uh, the Derby della Capitale, Roma against Lazio. Uh, coming into this matchup, Roma came in winless in five of the last six matchups, or six games, I should say, of the season. Lazio, on the other hand, were on a five-game win streak overall, including four in a row in Serie A. The question is, would the, would the trends remain? Uh, Roma have not reeled this bad in, in, a, in a while, really. And it's, it's an inopportune time for them to come to the Derby. But sometimes the Derby, Derbies change things. We know this. Uh, anytime, uh, no matter what the forms are of the teams in the games, the Derby changes things. And, you know, one team could be dominant, another team could be uh, really poor. And then a Derby comes around and it, it just flips the script. Um, early on in this one, Immobile, uh, he he had made a great move down the right wing. Um, had a great pass to Luis Alberto, who was wide open in front of the box, Frank. Um, but he seemed to be too unselfish, passing up a shot, looking for Sergei Milinkovic-Savic. You know, in a game of this magnitude, when you have an opportunity like that, and the player who's the, the quality of Luis Alberto, you take that shot, don't you, Frank? I was stunned. I surprised he didn't take the shot there from the position that he was in. Um, is somebody right with Luis Alberto this season? Uh, you know, he was phenomenal last season and he's just not off to a good start here, uh, especially in these big games. Uh, it, it seems like there's some stage fright playing against some of the better teams. And, um, you know, there's no greater indicator than passing what is a, a pretty significant chance to score. Uh, you know, and that's, uh, you know, from the position that he was in to pass it off to Milinkovic Savic there. I was, I was stunned that he took that decision. Well, that as soon as that as soon as that shot was missed by Milinkovic Savic, that would lead to a counterattack by Roma, uh, which was nearly finished off by Jeko, if not by a brilliant save by Saracosha. Um, a little later, El Sharawi again on a counter, but set up Pastore with a lovely through ball, uh, and Saracosha stepped up, making another big save. Can Saracosha, while we we joke about how he may not be the greatest goalkeeper in the world, he he does make big saves in opportune times. And it's inexplicable with him. Like it's, it's not. He's not the most consistent guy, but uh, he he is known for making a big save here and there in, in big games. Yeah, it's pretty. It, he's an interest. He's an interesting goalkeeper. I feel like he makes a lot of absolutely horrible decisions, but I feel like as far as you know, general shot stopping is concerned, he's he makes a lot of really good saves. I think early on in this match, he made a couple of really big saves to keep Lazio alive. Otherwise, I think early on it could have been two or three nil, honestly. 
No, yeah, it, it was. Uh, if it wasn't for Strakosha, it certainly would have been uh, a, a goal fest for for Roma. Um, Lazio, they they would have their opportunities as well. Uh, Sergei Milinkovic Savic, he would set up Immobile in the box. Uh, he would get a shot off that would just miss wide. Um, Julia, with a player like Immobile, a poacher of his, of his ilk, um, he doesn't need many opportunities. He doesn't need a big opportunity. He just needs a little sniff at goal, and he will take that shot no matter what. Kind of like what Ronaldo does for Juventus. Um, probably doesn't take as much shot as Ronaldo, but uh, w- describe what kind of poacher, what it's like to have a, a player of that kind of, of that ilk who just he sees, he gets a sniff on goal, and he takes it. I think it's always good to have one just because, you know, when you get into those open positions, you want players to shoot and, uh, as opposed to, you know, trying to force the pass or anything. But, you know, getting it on net, too, is, is, is another factor. And I think with a guy like Immobile, nine times out of ten, he's going to get that shot on net like Ronaldo. But it's also important that when you get that chance, you finish it. Because in a big game like this, especially a derby, it's, it's crucial to get those goals and to not only try and force the shot if you have to, but I mean, you know, Immobile is a great goal scorer and I think he's a, he could have had a goal or another goal or two in addition to what he scored. Now, this, this derby wasn't all just offense. There was actually some defense played in this one. Um, in, in the middle of the first half, uh, El Sharawi, he was having actually a pretty good first half up to this point. Uh, he found Jekyll on another counterattack, who did a one-touch pass to Florenzi, who was one-on-one, it seemed like, with Strakosha. And Lu- uh, Luis Felipe came out of nowhere. Frank uh, made a great tackle. It got to remind you of the old uh, defensive days of Serie A from the 90s, huh? Yeah. Um, you know, it's uh, you know we're so far removed from 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 the tight tactics and the tackling, so many goals that get scored in this league. So you're almost kind of surprised when you see a tackle like that. No, I know. And, and, and you know, it's Luis Felipe, so you're not going to see that too often with him. But um, it was a great tackle, great time, because Florenzi was one-on-one there. And, you know, a player who a player like Florenzi can score those goals, and uh, you don't want to leave it up to the goaltender and, and, and you know, when it gets down to there. So uh, great great play by Luis Felipe on that one. Um this go this game was screaming for a goal as all derbies are, and finally after a mad scramble in the box in the 45th minute, just before halftime, uh, Pellegrini just minutes after being subbed on for Pastore scores on a cheeky backheel goal, gives Roma the lead one nothing going into halftime. This game was very much uh, a back and forth effort. No real team. No, I mean, you would, I guess you could say Roma was having a, the better of the advantage of the of the, of the shots. Uh, Ken, but this game uh, it needed that goal to kind of w- liven it up and 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 get it more open so we can get more goals in this. Yeah, I mean, I feel yeah, I feel like you said it pretty well, Richard. This game was screaming from a goal. Is it for a goal? It was back and forth, and I don't know. Roma's got the Roma's got the uh, the back heelitis. It seems like, <laughs> and of course, it was a guy who came on for Pastore who scored back heel. Uh, not too long ago, and Pellegrini. I thought maybe watching the replay back that maybe it wasn't exactly necessary for him to back heal it, but he did, and you know it's one nil Roma right before halftime. If Roma spent time uh, spent as much time on their defending as they did on their back heel goals, <laughs> might have a better. They, they 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 might have a few more points under their belt. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, <laughs> Julia, um, 
I was hanging out with, I, I met up with Roma Club DC just by, by happenstance uh, this weekend. And we started talking about this, the, the Derby and Pellegrini in particular he has not had the greatest of starts for Ro- with Roma, and especially this season, it's it's not been going well for him. But I thought in this game, at least he was, went once he came in, um, he he had actually a pretty good game overall. That goal obviously is going to help your confidence. Um, what is you know up until this game? Wh- why has Pellegrini struggled so much with Roma? He's a is a Roman is pl- a Roman born player. Why why has he struggled so much after doing so well with like Sassuolo? I think it's also part of trying to find the perfect position for him. And, uh, you know, in that kind of Tricuartista role for him, I think it's, it, it, it's perfect in a way. He's offering things that Pastore hasn't quite offered um, so far this season. And, you know, he was providing a lot of, he provides all the assists, the goal, the two assists. And, you know, he's, he, he defends well. He was blocking passing lanes between the Lazio players. Um, and, and, you know, this is a game where you see him finally take shape. And if this is the role, if he continues to play like this, uh, it's definitely going to be an outstanding season. And I'm sure he's definitely going to be the, the highlight of, of Roma. Well, this game, uh, well, you know, with Roma in particular, we've talked numerous times about their defense and that being the weakness of them. Um, Frank just alluded to it just now, you know, if they spend a little more time on defense, they'd be better off, you know. Uh, and this game was no different in the 67th minute. Fazio, oh Fazio, uh, John Solano's favorite <laughs> defender, of course, uh, with an inexplicable turnover as the last defender, gives it away to Immobile of all people. And Chido Immobile, as a true poacher, as we just talked about, uh, capitalized with an equalizer. Frank, um, what was Fazio thinking, playing like he playing with the ball like he was, being the last guy? I wish I, I I wish I could get it. If there's somebody's head in Serie A that I wish I could get into, it's Federico Fazio's. <laughs> uh, seriously, um, but Chiro Immobile scored a striker's goal here. I mean, you know that's that's what happened. Much much you know much in the way Iguain when he scored against Cagliari a couple of weeks ago. Um, but boy, he's just he, he's so the, the the combination of him and Manolas. It seems like you know and and. and it seems like to me when when you watch these guys play this season, um, they're trying to outdo each other over who could actually do the dumbest thing possible on the pitch. Um, it's <laughs> it's staggering to me that that kind of thing goes on with the team that that, that got so deep in the Champions League last season. Julian, can do you follow uh, John Solano on on Twitter? Yes, I do. Yeah. Okay, because. Uh, you know when a Roma game is going on. You just you go Twitter and it, and your feed is littered with John Solano just trashing just about. And I love John. He's been on our he's been on our podcast num- numerous times, but he trashes every Roma player. <laughs> uh, it's it, you you know what you you know there's a Roma match going on when uh, when your Twitter feed is 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 just littered with oh, Fazio this and Pellegrini that and Manolas and it's usually the same three or four guys that also don't even get them started, but. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, um, but Immobile scored a poacher's goal, or he scored a striker's goal here, and, and took advantage of the situation. And yeah, I mean, I think that Manolas and Fazio just just are trying to outdo each other over who can be dumber back there. It just, it, I, I don't get it. I don't get it. I think it's, it's it's yeah, it's one of those weird things this year. I feel like I I wrote down some notes before uh, we came on just because I was trying to recap in my brain some of the match 
uh, highlights and stuff. And I just said, how bad has Federico Fazio gotten <laughs> that you talk about how bad he was even after he scored a goal? Yep. Yeah, I feel like he is has regressed to uh, – he's just bad. He, I feel like he's just out and out a bad player. Uh, the, the mistake he makes there, I feel like, you know, if you're a center back, I don't I don't know what you're doing, well, you know, what, you know, you could possibly be doing to think that you're going to, I mean, Immobile is bred for situations like that. And he just is all over him. And before you know it, the, the game is tied from something that seems so easy to, <laughs> you know, to, to, to mitigate by just getting rid of the ball there. Julia, with 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 you know with Manolas and Fazio playing so much together, you thought you would think by now that they would have rapport and and figure it out. You know, kind of the way you know, obviously the Juventus backline have have figured it out over the years, as well as you know Albiol and Koulibaly for Napoli. But they seem to be getting almost worse. Um, <laughs> they have every now and then they have a, a brilliant game, but it's it. Can you understand like why they're just getting worse and not getting any better? If you know every game that they play with each other. I don't know what it is. It's just every time I watch Manolis and Fazio play, I feel like I don't know if I'm doing something wrong the way I'm trying to judge them because Fazio <laughs> just, the way that Fazio plays is just so, I, I don't even want to say inconsistent because he's so consistent with how bad he plays. And I don't mean to be rude about it, but he just, it just looks like he doesn't know what he's doing on the pitch. And I feel like Manolis is kind of left trying to clean that up. And, 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 you know, Manolis is, out of the two, the better defender, in my opinion. But just the way that Fazio has been playing and the way he's been progressing, it's, it's, I, I'm not really sure why he continues to start. Do you know who they remind me of? You know who they remind me of? You guys, it's, it's a very old movie. Have you guys seen the movie Trading Places? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Back in the early 80s. Okay, so you guys know where I'm going with this. The two guys <laughs> on the train that are there to, to, to watch the gorilla that's in the cage and all they want to do is they want to go into the, they, they don't care about the gorilla. They want to go into the party and they get hammered. They would be <laughs> and with, with everybody else that's on the train and they, they come back and they find the, the Clarence beaks in the, in the uh, gorilla outfit. And they think that's a real gorilla and the gorilla in the cage wants some love. And they throw him in the cage when they don't realize that that's just an outfit, just a, a costume with a, a, a human underneath that. And, and and I would not put it past that Fazio and Manolas would do exactly the same thing as those two guys did in that movie on that train. <laughs> this is an amazing analogy. <laughs> I'm, 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 but am I wrong? Am I right? You're right. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, my. Anyway, so let's get Hi, back John. to the game. <laughs> Hi, John. <laughs> After this and they won, And they won and we're dogging them. <laughs> Oh. oh, that's that's Fazio and Manolas for us. You, you can't help it. Like like uh, Ken was saying, you know, Fazio scores and we're still talking bad about them. But hey, you get what you deserve, right? Um, I was curious. I don't know what you guys, but I was curious to see how Roma would respond after that Immobile equalizer. Um, and it didn't take long. And actually, it was a former Laziale who'd be the one to respond. Uh, Alexander Kolarov uh, with a powerful free kick from close range beats Rakosh at the near post and. The former Lazio player, would he celebrate was the question, and you bet your ass he did, folks. Uh, it looked like he had a vendetta to settle with that celebration. Uh, Julia, uh, this guy looks like he, he had something against Lazio that he celebrated so much. Um, he, I, I, I never seen him more happier. I mean, I think that's just all Roman. I mean, that's, 
what you're going to get with them, especially in this, in such a big derby too. Yeah. Um, I, did, I honestly didn't expect anything less. And it's just so funny because Kolarov is the guy with very few expressions, and then he scores this goal, and he's just going apeshit, uh, part of my language there. Uh, Frank, um, Kolarov, he, he's obviously a fantastic player. Uh, but though, you know, we've talked about this before when, when players face their former club, you know, how would they react when they score goals? We've seen we've seen it both ways. You know, we've seen players, you know, be kind and not celebrate, kind of like Qualerella did with Napoli. And we've also seen when, like, Bernadeschi, when he scores, and go, oh, and he said, I'll, I'll celebrate against Fiorentina. I don't care. Um, were you surprised to see Kolarov celebrate like that? I, this is one of the most overblown things that people talk about, you know. Oh, look, he's showing respect for his former club. Oh, look, he's rubbing it in. You know, if the guy wants to celebrate scoring a goal, let him celebrate scoring a goal. You know, I mean, regardless of who it's against. And he didn't part He didn't part on horrible terms with Lazio, did he? He, he was no, sold to know. Manchester City. He was sold to a better project. You know, I mean, so, um, you know, I, I just think it's just one of the most overblown things. And I would not, like, if, you know, if Pirlo ever scored against Milan and he wanted to, you know, when he was playing for Juve and he wanted to celebrate, that's his prerogative, you know? Um, you know, you know, I would imagine in Ken's case, if Higuain scored against Napoli um, and he did celebrate, didn't he last year when Juve, um, yeah, he did. I, San Paolo. I mean, I feel, it's, it, I feel like Higuain is a little bit of a separate, I feel like a lot of times I don't mind as much, but with Higuain, it, it really, <laughs> It really makes me mad. Uh, (laughs) But um, no, but I think with there has to be a statute of limitations on these things. Like Kolarov was sold from Lazio 2010. It's 2018. It's time to just let let the guy, you know, celebrate. I feel like there's nobody on that. There's nobody on that Lazio team that was there when when Kolarov was on the team. I mean, Simone Inzaghi might have been there in some sort of role. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with the Kolarov situation. It's. It's crazy. I think that, you know, if, if Higuain came back to Napoli in like nine years and he was playing for like a, a different team and celebrating, be like, all right, listen, this is almost a decade ago. It's time to let it go. But, <laughs> you know, I, it's, yeah, I think, I also think that on that goal, Strakosha made an absolute mess of it. <laughs> well, by then he'd be in MLS probably. So. Agreed. <laughs> uh, well, Ken, the Giallo Rossi were not done. Your boy Fazio. Looked to redeem himself after his blunder earlier and did so with uh, when Pellegrini swung in a beautiful free kick. He would get the goal. Uh, Roma would win 3-1. to one. Um, As you said, he scores the goal, but all we can talk about is Fazio's mistakes. Um, but that aside, how would you rate Roma's performance in this derby, considering the, the situation coming into the game, how they were struggling so mightily and Lazio were, were on, the, on, the, on the precipice in this? I feel like I said it last week, and I don't remember if it was on Twitter or, or elsewhere. But I said that um, Roma, Roma's season would be moving forward would be dictated by how they played against Lazio, and I thought Di Francesco's job security would be very much at risk if they lost to Lazio in the in the home fixture of the of the derby and. You know, I felt like they did what they had to do. I mean, the match was pretty darn even. You know, I, th- I thought Lazio Lazio controlled a little bit more of the possession, but they both had a lot of opportunities. I think there was like something like 30 shots attempted on goal in this game or something like that. So it, as a neutral, it was really entertaining to watch. But I feel, you know, Roma did what they had to do. I was a little 
I felt like I was a little surprised that we didn't see Clivert in this match, but I think Roma did enough to win, and I feel like Di Francesco can sit a little bit more comfortably in his in his Roma seat for at least a couple more weeks. And I think Roma still has a lot of work to do, though. I think 11 points out of seven matches is not a very good uh, return for a team that went to the semifinal of the Champions League. I think that it's still a little bit disappointing for them. This kind of goes out to both, you know, both Julia and Ken. Um, you know, we, 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 like you said, a, a derby can springboard your season, can make a break it uh, also for the coach and for everything. But of these two teams, who would you be more worried to fit to face? I mean, Lazio have the striking capability of Immobile. Um, Roma have the the counter attacking and and the 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 young attacker that they have. Julia, if if you had to face these two teams, which team, if either of these teams, would worry you? Would it be Lazio or would it be Roma? I mean, it's kind of tough to say. I mean, we played Lazio and it just seemed quite easy for us, to be honest. I was a little bit surprised with the results in that game. Um, but and the thing with Roma too is they haven't really clicked all around either. So. I would still be very wary of Lazio just because of our history with them and the way we play them and the way they play us. So I think that Lazio just defensively and with their midfield, they're a little bit more put together than Roma right now because Roma doesn't really have that, especially up front, they haven't solidified everything. So I, I would be worried a little bit more of Lazio than Roma right now. And Ken, you, you guys play Roma here in the next month or so. Um, is that is that a team that worries you to play against, or is are you more worried about a team like Lazio who have Immobile and Luis Alberto and Milinkovic Savic? So I'm gonna be a little bit neutral on this one because I'm actually going to Naples for the first time, and I'm going to the Napoli Roma match. It's my first time at the San Paolo, nice. so I'm not gonna say anything because I'm fear <laughs> I'm gonna jinx myself. Okay, but. Uh, we have already beaten Lazio this season, and I feel historically we are much better against Lazio than Roma. I think we've won 12 of the last 16 or 12 of the last 18 against Lazio, and against Roma it's much more even, and and Roma is a derby for us. So I think I'll just leave it at that. Um, like I said, I'm going, you know, I'm going for the first time, and it should be amazing, and I can't wait, but... I think it'll be a very – I think, it, as always, it will be an even matchup. I think that almost all Napoli-Roma games are one goal, two goals, deciding it and pretty evenly matched. So I think I guess I'm going to default to saying I'm a little bit more worried about Roma because I think that, generally speaking, in the past, we've been more evenly matched with them. Well, this Fair brings enough. me to – this brings me to uh, uh, the first topic of patience or panic. We're going to spread patience or panic. Uh, out a little bit um, and uh, the topic is Lazio uh, so um, give me your opinion on this guys Lazio uh, you know by their standards off to a pretty decent pretty decent start played seven 12 points uh, have a win in the Europa League to kick things off there but uh, let's look at those seven City A games wins a 1-0 win over Frozen only 1-0 win at Empoli uh, beat Genoa 4-1 and then beat Udinese 2-1 uh, but let's peel that onion a little bit and look at their defeats. Uh, 2-1 at home to Napoli, 2-0 at Juve, and now this 3-1 defeat to Roma in the Derby della Capitale. So three of what we would consider the big six 
all losses. So, uh, judging, uh, they might be a point out of the Champions League places right now. They might be tied for, you know, effectively tied for sixth with Genoa right now. I, I never understood the whole goal difference thing. Genoa has a game in hand, but Lazio beat Genoa. So let's just say Lazio are sixth at the moment. Um, but considering the struggles with the top-end teams, their prospects for finishing in a European place next season, uh, uh, is, it, is it a matter of patience right now with Lazio, or do you panic about this? And Julia, I'll start with you. I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, right now it is a little bit early on in the season. Uh, your first panic. patients are panic and you're going to go, you're going to go neutral on me. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it's tough with them because, you know, they, they, you know, they're a team that can grab the points, but they're also a team that can drop them. Um, but you know, they've got some tough games coming up. Like I, I think it's like Fiorentina, then Parma, then Inter. So, I mean, those are kind of points that you have to make sure that they get, but if not, it, then I think it'd be time to start panicking, especially Inter is a huge game for them. Uh, nonetheless, so is Fiorentina, but um, they definitely need to be able to get their points uh, to keep them near the top of the table, especially for European competition. But I, I would start panicking just a little bit, just a little okay, bit. Okay, Ken. Ken, how about you? Patience or panic? I'm going to go patience. I think that as far as Lazio and expectations, and, you know, I feel like Lazio as a general team, I think that. You have to go patience. I think they're beating the teams they're supposed to beat. They haven't beat any of the big teams yet, but I feel like you know they had just won I think five games in a row before they played Roma. So I think I think I think patience. I think they have a tough stretch coming up. They have Europa League and they have Fiorentina. They have Inter all coming in the next month. Um, and like Julia said, they have Parma as well. And Parma's been I think a little bit of a surprise so far this season. So I. I think overall, though, I think it's patience. I think they're in a better place than a lot of the other top teams, you know, all things considered. Richard, how about you? Uh, it's it's kind of along the same lines as Ken is like, you know, they lost uh, two of those games early on, and then they got, they kind of finally started clicking, getting more games to each other, and they went on that five game win streak. Um, and then they just ran, a, you know, it was a derby. Derby is very unpredictable with any, any of the big games. So, I'm going to be patient right now and just see how it goes for this next month. Um, it could very well be a month from now or, or, or two months from now that we're saying it's panic time. They're, uh, Inzaghi's got to go. Or it could be we're like, oh, look, they are uh, they have a new team this year and they're going to be challenging for you know a, a, one of the Champions League spots. Who knows? So, But right now it's going to be patience with me because I, I like the, the, the form that they're in up until the Derby. And a Derby, it's a different animal. You can't really... Throw that into the mix of how uh, how they're playing. I get that, but uh, if I'm a Lazio supporter, I'm panicking right now because uh, the teams that I'm supposed to be competing with for these places and I can't get any points off of them, that's a problem. Um, they 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 opened up with a lead uh, against Napoli, an excellent goal by Immobile, but you know Napoli hit him in the mouth, and it never looked like Lazio had any adjustments for that. They followed that up with a listless performance at Juve, and I get. Opening the season against the two best teams in Italy uh, is is daunting for anybody. Um, but this is a Roma team that was there for the taking, considering their form, considering some of the issues that they're having. Um, I already made my comment about Luis Alberto. Uh, you know, Thomas Strakosha made some very good saves here in the first half, but he could be uh, blamed for the Pellegrini goal. 
Uh, I agree with the pundit to an extent on how he got beaten on Kolarov's uh, free kick. He had the wall in one position, um, but Kolarov still struck to the open the open side of the goal, which is what Strakosha should effectively been defending uh, and might have been out of position a little bit. Can't do anything about the third goal. Very well taken by Fazio. Um, Milinkovic Savic is starting to come into a little bit, but you also don't get better defensively by losing Devray and replacing him with Acherbi. Acherbi's a decent player, but he's not Devray. So I am I'm panicking at the moment with Lazio, but they do have a chance to get this right. But just looking at things right now, yeah, they're beating who they're supposed to be. But when it comes to having to get the results, you know, against the teams in the top half, against the teams that they're trying to fight off, you know, to earn their way back into maybe, you know, top being in that position to try to get top four like they were last season, um, you know, it's it's not looking good. And Fiorentina is much, much better right now. Sampdoria are, are clicking a lot faster than I anticipated with the, the additions of players like um, uh, Defrel and and with what Quagliarella is doing this season. Um, and it escapes me who the other fella is that scored for uh, Sampdoria today. Oh, Linetti. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, uh, some of the uh, some of the attacking pieces. So those are two teams right off the bat that are playing a lot better that could that could challenge Lazio Lazio this season. So I'm panicking. Uh, you know if I'm Lazio at this point. So that's the first part of patience or panic. That was the Derby della Capitale. We talked Juve Napoli, and now let's ba- batch the rest of match week seven. All right, and let's uh, let's go through this really quickly because we got a couple of other things to cover before we sign off. Uh, so the rest of match week seven: Roma Lazio, Juventus Napoli. Those were Saturday games. The other Saturday match: Inter and Cagliari. That ended two 0 for the Nerazzurri. Lataro opening his account, uh, coming back from injury and scoring uh, for Spalletti's men, getting them up one 0 Cagliari thought they had an equalizer. Uh, it did get called back for a handball after the use of VAR and a correct decision there. Uh, and then in the 89th minute, a wonderful side volley from Matteo Politano uh, to seal the three points for Inter ahead of a big Champions League match against PSV this week. Uh, Sunday started with Bologna against Udinese, and Udinese got things started with Ignacio Pusetto in the 32nd minute before Federico Santander equalized just 10 minutes later. Ricardo Orsolini netting the winner for Bologna, a 2-1 win for Pipo Inzaghi's men and the Rosso Blue. Uh, Chievo Torino, a 1-0 win for the Granata. Uh, Simone Zaza in the 88th minute getting three points for Mazzari's men. Chievo Verona still on negative one point. Um, Fiorentina Atalanta, 2-0 to Fiorentina and two, uh, two goals where the circumstances couldn't be any weirder. Um, Veretu on a penalty after a, uh, after Chiesa went down in the penalty area, from the looks of it, it looked like simulation to me. I, we, we can talk about this after I'm, uh, you know, after I'm done going through all the recaps. One simulation, two surprising that I don't think that VAR even looked at it. So uh, Veretout gets the penalty. Biragi on a penalty, or not on a penalty, on a free kick uh, in the uh, dying moments of the game, where he took the free kick, the ball found its way across the line. Uh, and goal line technology had to come into play for that. But Fiorentina getting a big 2-0 win over Gasparini's men. Uh, Frosinone 1, Genoa 2. Frosinone get their first goal of the season. It was a Chiano penalty kick, but that was after that man, Piatek, uh, scoring twice for the Grifone. He's now up to eight goals, Richard. That goal tracker, um, 
Genoa has played six games. He's got eight goals, so he's on pace for what, 50 goals about? Cristiano Ronaldo, eat your heart out. Yeah, you got some, comp- <laughs> you got some competition. Uh, Parma won, Empoli nil. That man, Gervinho, scoring again. And uh, what a story Parma has been here in the early part of the season. Uh, Sunday night, Sassuolo and Milan. Sassuolo won, Milan four. Frank Kessie uh, showing Bakioko how to counterattack and uh, channeling his inner Gervinho in the process. Makes sense. They're both Ivorian. Um, Suzo with a brace, uh, his first one really special. Uh, and Samu Castillejo uh, also getting on the score sheet for the first time uh, as a Milan player. Filip Juricic with a consolation in the 68th minute for the Nero Verdi. And then Monday's game, Sampdoria and Spal that finished 2-1. For the Blue Carati, uh, Alberto Poloski giving the visitors a lead before Carol Anetti with a brilliant volley uh, to equalize and Gregoire de Frel, uh finishing off the visitors in the, on the hour uh, to give Samp a 2-1 win. Uh, Ken, what stands out from those eight games to you? <laughs> well, I wrote just a couple of notes and I'll just go over them real quick because I just wrote like a couple little couple words for each. For each match, I wrote uh, for the intermatch. I wrote Lautaro gets his first goal, although it was extremely poor from Cranio. And then I put Politano goal of the week. Amazing volley with his left foot, cuts across the whole goal. Uh, really, really nice goal. Politano, I think Politano has, has surprised me a little bit. I thought, I know he finished the year real strong last year at Sassuolo, and he sort of flirted with Napoli last year. Um, I think he's been a really nice signing for for Inter, and I think that the influence of Nangolan has really started to kick off for for Inter. I think they're starting to kick it off a little bit. Bologna Udinese, I just put how awful are Udinese's gold kits? <laughs> um, <laughs> they're pretty pretty bad. The gold short suit is odd. And then I put for the Atalanta match. How disappointing has Atalanta been this season so far? I feel like they've ever since they got kicked out of Europa League, they've really been struggling, um, and they're they're really having a rough go of it to start. Which is surprising. Put, which yeah, is surprising because when they got eliminated from the Europa League last season, they obviously in the round of thirty two stage, but then they kicked on and fought their way back. And yeah, to your point, uh, this season they just it, it, you haven't seen that same reaction to it. I don't know if it's maybe just disappointment from being eliminated so early this time around that uh, they just that it hasn't. Uh, you know that it hasn't come together. Um, it's 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 a weird one for me, that's for sure. Yeah, they haven't they haven't won a match since that. They won their first match of the season four nil, and then after the draw to Copenhagen, they have three losses and two draws. It's yeah. uh, I I do feel like they do miss Caldata. Um, I just feel like they've given up ten goals in seven games, and it's a little bit uncharacteristic. Of them. Um, for Genoa, for Osinone, I just put Piatek. Like, who is this guy? It's amazing. I love yeah. it. Eight what goals. It's an amazing story. Um, and then for Milan Sassuolo, I just put Suso. And I tweeted last week that when Suso is on, he's arguably the best player in Serie A. And he was on uh, He was on yesterday. And I thought he really put on a show. I, I, I think he's a wonderful player. I thought that in the summer when there was – Slight murmurs of him being moved on. I thought it would have been a huge mistake, and I think that it's really good for Milan that they kept on, they held on to him. Um, and then what else was, did I put here? Yeah, he go ahead. Due. He yeah, was he was due. He, he was definitely due. I mean, he had so many, so many of the shots. I mean, there's been so many 
goalkeepers coming up with big saves on those cut-ins where he likes to get the ball on his left foot. And finally, he finally the net one was a relief. Yeah, I feel. I mean, I feel like maybe last week, not not the midweek fixtures, but last week he he started to put it together, uh, and he's uh, he's one of my favorite players in, in Serie A. I, I really really like watching Suso play, um, and then for Samp Spall, I put Defrel revival. I mean, five goals for this guy. I think he was just cast aside by Roma. He had a really disappointing campaign, and you know Genoa again, just sort of like last year where they started the season off. Uh, really surprising some players. I think, you know, as a Napoli supporter, I really enjoy watching Qualiarella succeed and have this sort of late career renaissance at Samp. Um, he looks like he's having fun. Obviously, um, we don't need to rehash the whole story last year and everything that came out. But I think since he's been able to put that out publicly and and really let it go, he's been playing you know, like he's he's you know, five to eight years younger and it, and it shows. And I, and I really like seeing that side come out of him and it's, it's been a lot of fun to watch. I think those are, I think it's pretty much where I'm at for the week. It's been, it was another fun week. Uh, I think I have one more note here about Gervinho and about how, who thought he was going to come back to city on just tear it up. Turning it's back fun. the clock. Yeah. It's been, it's been, I think the first seven weeks have been a lot of fun. There's been a lot of interesting stories. Um, it's, it's pretty fascinating actually. Julia, your takes from, uh, from the rest of these games. Um, I think the games that stood out to me the most was probably Fiorentina Atalanta uh, as one of them, just because of you know there was a lot of talk around that the penalty given to Kiza, um, which I don't know if it went to VAR, but the way that it was kind of handled just didn't seem like the brightest thing. Um, other than that, uh, Atalanta slowly falling down. And the other match that kind of stood out to me was definitely the Sassuolo and Milan. Just no disrespect to Milan, but I thought uh, Sassuolo would deliver a better performance as we saw them from the beginning of the season. But uh, it's definitely nice to see Milan back winning games and you know scoring goals. It's just nice to see some of the teams get back on top, especially Milan. Who, you know, we've been, we've been wanting them to rise back slowly up to the top of the table. Um, I said that uh, on last week's pod for Milan uh, at Empoli at Sassuolo that a minimum of four points I would be fine. I would fi- be fine with four points. I thought beat Empoli, draw Sassuolo. It ended up happening the other way around, which is fine. But to your point, Julia, I think that you know, you know the the, the Milan performances, even though they've been draws, uh, the home game against Atalanta, especially that first half, the the performance against at Empoli where they were. They were pretty shy. I mean, this was this is what Milan had been doing. Just they finally scored more goals. Yeah, I mean, I, it's just it's just finally nice to see them start scoring goals and start to get the momentum. Just because you know, Milan teams like Milan and and Inter and and Roma, you you want to see them progress in the league. Just because you know, especially with the outside perspectives of not watching Serie A, they don't take it too kindly now that Milan's and Roma has fallen down kind of the ranks of even last season too but just to see them bring it back up it's because it's such a historical club I think it it really does bring out Seti out a lot more indeed indeed and it's uh you know uh everything's better when the big teams are playing well uh in in Serie A that's not to discredit the uh, the, the the little guys they you know especially when you, when you look at what Genoa is doing um you know Richard, uh, 
your takes on, uh, on on these eight games. I know we 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 talked about a lot here. I mean, you, we, Genoa, Piatek, where's this guy come from? And and certainly when you look at, you know, Genoa was grinding things out last season, and certainly this season they're doing things a whole a whole lot different. Maybe start with that, and then some of your other takes. It's funny what a goal scorer can do to a team. You know, your team will be grinding it out, struggling to get goals, struggling to get wins. All of a sudden you get a guy who gets a sniff of the goal and is is on fire. Um, Piatic has been a revelation for Genoa and for Serie A this season. I love his celebrations. I love his uh, just his fire that he brings to Genoa, and the whole team is responding because of it. I mean, eight goals in six games. That's uh, I hope I hope he can keep it up for at least half the season. I want to see double digit goals for this guy. Um, how amazing would it be if he in first season Serie A he gets like twenty goals or something? Uh, but yeah, this guy, this guy has been a, a revelation for Genoa, and hopefully Genoa can ride him to, uh, you know, mid table if not higher. Maybe even try to. I doubt they can get to Europa League, but you never know with uh, Piatek scoring goals. Um, so that, that's a great story with him, and he's that that story is continuing, which is great. Uh, but the main story for me that stuck out, kind of what Julia was saying, it was that this Fiorentina Atalanta game. Though you know, while Fiorentina probably were the best team and should have won. The goals that they got were, you know, controversial to say the least. Um, the first one, Chiesa, it was it was an absolute dive on that one. It looked like he was trying to move his body into Taloy, hoping that he would get contact. And when there was no contact, he just fell. And referee, you know, stupidly didn't go to VAR, or maybe he did go to VAR and VAR got it wrong. I don't know, but it was an absolute incorrect call, a travesty that got the penalty kick there, and and Vertu, you know, put it away. And then that goal. That Beragi scored, you know, it was, it was very hard to see by the naked eye. I'm gonna, you know, goal line technology says it was a goal, so you know, yeah, I'll give him that for sure. But it was obviously controversial with considering also what happened earlier. So, um, but that was a clear goal. They did, uh, yeah, they did, exactly. they did go back and show it. It it crossed the line by almost a yard. So for if you're Atalanta though, it's gotta suck. You know, you get you get a bad call in the first half, and then in the second half, you you think it's not as a non-goal. I mean, obviously, technology says it was a goal, but. Um, tough for them. They're not. They're not as bad as they're playing right now, and, and it's it's unfortunate because they got so many good players, so many good young players on this team, and I'd hate to see them, you know, get into a bad dip of form and then just completely unravel. Right now, they're sitting near the bottom of the table, and that's not where they're gonna be, nor nor should they stay there. But um, you never know. We saw you know, how many, a couple years ago we didn't think Genoa was gonna be down at the bottom of the table, and then eventually were, and they became that team, and now they're. Maybe starting to rise out of that, so hopefully Atalanta doesn't, you know, fall fall to the victim to that kind of um, mentality shift. Uh, I don't think so with Gasparini, but you never know. I, I, I'm gonna just uh, just throw a couple takes in here, and we'll jump into the rest of the patience or panic stuff. Uh, Inter finding not so Icardi dependent so far this season uh, on their way to 13 points, which is interesting. Lataro uh, getting his first goal um, in Inter colors. Uh, and then a great a great finish by Politano. So Inter, you know, finding some resources here, uh, you know, to get their points, uh, you know, is something that uh, is certainly catching my attention. And then how about Bologna all of a sudden winning two of their last three after uh, we had the uh, um, we had the guest on from Bologna a couple of weeks ago. I don't mean to be disrespectful, but the name escapes me right away, Richard. Frederick Baca. Yes, Frederick Baca, exactly. Um, that's why I have you. You're helping me remember these things. Um, you know, but also yelling at Inzaghi, hey, this Adam Naji is a pretty good player. I remember him when he was on Hungary in the uh, 2016 Euros. 
uh, or Salini's a pretty good player. Start playing these guys. Well, he's starting to play these guys, and he's won a couple games now. So amazing what uh, the advice from uh, those of us count- us counselors here at the Serie A sit-down can do for teams. Um, we should take credit for Bologna's two wins, shouldn't we, Richard, That's now right. that they're playing? Serie A sit-down yep. effect. Yeah, yeah. We start saying, hey, why aren't you playing these guys? Now he's he just realized he has them, and now he's, went, you know, he's won himself a couple games. So, <laughs> um, you know, so... Uh, you know, that one jumped out to me. So uh, let's jump into some uh, patience or panic topics here, guys. And I am going to start with Spall. Um, you know, they survived, uh, they survived uh, uh, relegation uh, in their first season uh, last year and managed to stay up. Uh, you know, the, the season has begun now. And uh, all of a sudden in recent games, they've got that win over Atalanta, which all of a sudden doesn't seem to be a big deal. Uh, they caught Parma at the right time, and they took care of 10-man Bologna. But aside from that, um, it hasn't been pretty. Uh, the, this loss to Sampdoria, losing at home to Sassuolo, losing to Fiorentina. Um, and really, uh, you know, in, in some of these games, it's been, a bit of a, it's been a bit of a fight to score goals, despite having players at their disposal like Andrea Patania, like Mirko Antonucci, like Alberto Poloski. So... Taking a look at Spall right now and looking at the table, they're sitting on nine points. They were kind of a pleasant start to the season, but we're starting to see a dip in form, and they have fallen all the way down to 13th uh, with back-to-back defeat. So I ask you, as far as their survival prospects and looking at the big picture, um, can patience or panic for Spall in terms of their survival hopes? I'm going patience because I think – Frosinone is very, very bad. Mm-hmm. And I think Kievo this season is very, very, very bad. And they started with a points deduction. And seeing Kievo be that bad makes me very happy. Um, and I feel like I feel like it might be a fight, but I feel like they're in a good, spa- good spot to start. I feel like Atalanta and maybe a couple, of those, a couple of these other teams will start to creep out of it. But I feel Kievo and Frosinone are almost locks to be relegated. And I think that Spall is better than Empoli. So I think I think Spall is patience. Julia, where do you sit with Spall? Do they do, do, do you find a little bit of panic with things? Because I think with Spall last season, they kept a lot of games really tight and they were very pesky. Uh, in a couple of these games, uh, I mean three nil defeat, two nil def- you know, two nil defeat. Um it's 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 not been, you know, obviously two one here against Sampdoria was a little bit more competitive, but uh you know, three straight defeats since getting off to that great start. Do you start to panic a little bit if you're a Spall supporter, or can you stay patient here? I would panic just a little bit, just because, you know, especially with the upcoming fixtures that they have back-to-back, back, it, it, it can be very stressful if you're a Spall supporter. You know, they've got Inter, then Roma, then they've got Lazio and Juventus coming up, and it's it's just kind of hitting them all at once, and I think it could be extremely overwhelming for them and if they don't, you know, at least get a couple draws or a draw out of it, it's it's going to be a tough season for them. Richard, how about how about you? Patience or panic with Spall? I'm going to say a little bit of panic just because some of these teams that we thought were for sure going to get relegated this year are putting up a little bit of fight. Parma, Empoli. Um, obviously, Kevo is doing a, a service to Spall right now by how bad they are, but... Um, it's not going to be as easy at the beginning of the season. I thought Spal was a lock to stay up, but uh, based on current form, I mean, it's it's. I would panic. 
you know, you have you continue getting results, you know, getting some losses here, you're going to start dropping the table big time and then that's again mentality is going to shift and uh, you're start you're going to start struggling. Um and so uh, the way Parma and Empoli and some of these teams are playing this year, better than expected, uh, it's going to be a dogfight, unfortunately for them. Uh, I am, I am with you guys there. I, I, they need to get back to having that peskiness to them, uh, or else they're going to find themselves uh, mired in a relegation scrum here. They got off to a very promising start, but these last few games have been an issue. And uh, to Julia's point, some really tough fixtures ahead um, uh, for Simplici's men. I, I, I'm going to say just a little bit of panic here uh, for Spall. Uh, another team that's uh, sitting in the bottom half, uh, Cagliari. You take a look at the uh, players here, and you, you and and you have Pavoletti up front. You have a good young goalkeeper in Cranio. You have Nicola Barella, uh, you know, who came up with the youth ranks. They made some shrewd signings. Uh, you know, Ragnar Klavan, who maybe didn't get on at Liverpool, but uh, might find a home in Cagliari. Dario Cerno, who might be 36 years old, but uh, Calgary might be an ideal place for a player like him at his stage in his career. But then you go and you look at how the season has gone for them. Um, they only have scored when you, when you've got guys like Jean Pedro and you've got guys like Barella and you've got guys like Pavoletti, a little mystifying to me that through seven games, they've only scored four goals. Um, they have not scored in their last three games in which they've only picked up a point. Their last goal, the fourth minute at home against Milan. So that means, uh, 356 minutes. Did I do my math right? 86 minutes. No. 270. Yes, 356 minutes uh, without scoring a goal now. So getting into a little bit of a drought, and we've seen this movie with Empoli two seasons ago, Julia uh, Cagliari, uh, patience or panic for their survival prospects right now? Uh, I'd be panic. I mean, six points out of seven games, it's not really an ideal situation you want to be in, especially with only one win. You've got three draws, three losses. It's, it's, it, they need to be able to get these points, not only to survive relegation, but to, to hit the middle of the pack. You know, it's, it's not looking ideal for them. They've got tough games coming up as well. So I think that though they're going to cause some problems for teams, it's still going to be tough for them to fight their way back up. Um, yeah. I mean, Richard, uh, it's, uh, you know, I mean, and these are, they, the, the Atalanta win doesn't look like that big of a deal right now. Um, you know, after some of the things that we said about them earlier, uh, they could not uh, close out Sassuolo when they had a 2-1 lead against them, giving up a 97th-minute penalty. I mean, these are, the, these are exactly the kind of issues that spell uh, a team in trouble. But do you find anything here where we should have some patience for the Sardinians? Yeah, uh, I mean they got some youngsters on the team that give you kind of hope. Um, they don't, <laughs> they don't have uh, the the poor defenders that they had in the past. Poor goalkeeper. They the team is is okay, but they need to get the they need to get the results. Um, I, I I think if they just rest on their youth, give them some more pitch time, these players can develop and lead them out of uh, the trouble that they're in. Um, it's it's just that. You know, sometimes you get tough, tough matches coming up, and then you get a, a string of poor results. Um, it could weigh a team down, but I think Cagliari are good enough to to stay up. It's gonna be they're gonna be in that mix for sure, no doubt about that. But I think keep giving these youngsters some some quality pitch time will help develop them, and in turn, you know, pull them out of that relegation zone. Uh, I'm 
I'm going to, uh, Ken, Ken, how are we looking on Calgary? Patience or panic? Panic. You know, we, we saw them flirt last year with relegation and they had, they won their last two matches, I think, to sort of just eke out of it. Uh, I think that this year it's panic. I think they're in big trouble. I, I, I think that when you go through this multiple years in a row, you start to see a pattern. And I think that a lot of times you fight and fight and fight to get up one year. And then sometimes there's just a little bit of a hangover. We saw it last year with Crotone where they fought and had that amazing comeback to stay up last season or two seasons ago. And then last season, you know, they almost tried to do it again, but they just ran out of, ran out of gas. I, I think that Calgary's in big trouble. I'm with you guys on this one. I say panic for Calgary, uh, you know, at this point for all of the reasons that you've suggested, uh, all very good points. Richard, you got one more on this? Yeah, panic or patience with Empoli, um, another team that's in the relegation battle this year. Uh, they started out the season very promising with a win against the aforementioned Cagliari 2-0. But since then, um, it seems that the goals have dried up. Caputo and the boys uh, have been struggling to not only find, find the back of the net, but also get wins. They're actually winless in their last six games, uh, four losses, two draws. Um, and the schedule doesn't get much easier for them. They got uh, in this next month they got Roma and Juventus. In November they got Napoli and Atalanta. Um, is this panic or patience with Empoli as far as their their survival hopes in Syria this season? Uh, let's go with you, Julia. I'm gonna say full on panic. I mean, full it's not panic. looking too good for them. Yeah, <laughs> full on panic. Uh, it's not looking great for them and especially like you said with the upcoming matches it's going to be an extremely tough run for them um and especially right at the bottom of the table where they sit so fighting for to get out of that relegation spot is going to be extremely tough for them this season frank um milan made empoli kind of look like a good team when they played the last week and they got that draw um is this a panic or a patience with you um you know, this is going to be. Uh, I, I'm going to say patience. Okay. Because I, I, I have seen I've seen Empoli play a couple of times here, um, and I don't think they're that far off. I mean, you take a look at the performances and you take a look at some of the results, and clearly, um, yeah, throw the Sassuolo one out. They had a red card in that game, um, but they were competitive against Parma. They had many chances to uh, to try to scratch a point out of that. Um, you know, I thought at home. You know, they gave Milan problems, but they also gave Lazio problems, too. Um, you know, just couldn't just couldn't come up with something to uh, to get that point. Now, they host Roma this weekend, and they might be catching them at a pretty good time. Roma's coming off winning the Derby, and then they're hosting uh, Pilsen midweek in the Champions League, where you're going to say, you know, Di Francesco might be able to afford to rotate some players, but that's three points they're going to need after the start they got off to um, at the Bernabeu. So... This is one of those kind of trap situations where they might catch Roma at the right time. You know, if they can get a point out of that and then they can beat, win at Frozenone, I, I think that this gets a little bit easier for Empoli and they could know having some points in the bag with hosting Juve and then going to Napoli after that, I think they could stomach that. Um, you, Caputo and Lagomina up front look like they're decent. Um uh, Zayic, who didn't even play in the Milan game, looks like he can be useful coming through uh, in support of them. I, 
I, I say patience, and I, and I say it also because I think, you know, Calgary and Spall are two teams to me that are, are still going to slip here in this situation. And I think that if there's a team that can work their way out out of the three sitting in the drop zone, it is clearly Empoli. Ken, you're the uh, tiebreaker here. There's, um, you know, some good stuff that Empoli has. They have, you know, a possession game. They got Caputo. They got Lagomina. But they also can't, you know, they're struggling to score in that same respect in there, and they're giving up a lot of goals. So is this panic or patience with Empoli for you? Uh, I'm going with Frank on this one, and I'm going to say patience. I think they play a positive style of football. I think Caputo is a very good player. I think that Terracciano is the type of player that a team fighting for relegation needs. He's a goalkeeper that can save them points. Um in a, during a season, uh, I, I feel like he almost single-handedly got Empoli a point against Milan at home. I agree. Um, and I feel like they will gel a little bit. And I think that having they have a big match against Roma and then they play Frosinone, and I, I agree with Frank. If they can somehow get four points out of that stretch, I think that they can you know, take their lumps a little bit against the better some of the better teams and – a lot of times these relegation battles come down to those head-to-head matches against teams that you're on even more even competition with the Calories, the Frosinones, the you know the the Kievos, and I think that they're maybe the best team that's sort of in that bottom five right now. And I think that they do have a pretty good chance of of getting out of it and and putting a team like Calgary really in in, in a bad place. I, I think I, I think Empoli should show a little patience. I think I'm on the fence on this one. I, I'm I'm one of the, I'm one of the few people who picked Empoli to survive this year, um, and I like what you guys are saying. You know, the possession they actually play attractive ball, but the counter to that is um, Pescara did the same thing. Benevento did it in the second half of the season. Both the teams got relegated um, just because they play good ball doesn't necessarily equate to getting enough points, and so. You know, this next this next two months are going to be very brutal for for Empoli if they if they come out of that with zero points or or very minimal points, um, their manager's going to be gone. Um, and 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 I hate to see it because he is uh, he did him so well for them last year, and and this Empoli squad is for the most part is intact from last year, minus you know they swapped a strike a striker. But uh, yeah, I'm on the fence with this one, and it's it's uh, I'll be curious to see how they do. I'm hoping they they succeed because I I enjoy watching them play, but. Uh, we've seen in the past uh, just because they play well doesn't mean it's going to work, you know. So that is our uh, patience or panic for this week for the Serie A sit-down. Uh, let's wrap this up with a European preview and see what our guests think of their team's prospects this week. All right. And, uh, Julia, we'll start with you. Um you know, as you guys are t- as you guys are talking, I, I, I want to kind of get your take on how Champions League has kind of staggered their games with a couple of uh, early games in the time slots and a couple late games. And uh, you know, Julia, in, in the case of Juventus, uh, a twelve fifty five East kick uh, kickoff against Young Boys at home. Uh, Ronaldo going to serve that one game ban. Uh, what? Do you and Juve a clear favorite in this game? What do you anticipate Allegri will do? Uh, who should we expect to see? And uh, give me a uh, final score prediction. 
Um, I think it's it should be a win over young boys. You know, the way, especially the way that we played the 10 men down against Valencia, it shows that we can definitely pull through and win games. But uh, the way that, you know, if you watch the young boys against Manchester United, you see through that it was kind of a walk away for United. But in regard to us, I think that depending on how Allegri sets up the formation and who he decides to put in the starting lineup, I think it's going to be uh, probably around a 3-4-3 for him. And he's going to stick with three-man back. And we're going to actually see uh, Chiellini be rested for that game. Um, so we're going to see Barzali, Bonucci, and Benatia getting in there. And I think it's going to be a solid backline for that. And again, ideal to rest guys like Chiellini. And uh, obviously no Ronaldo. So I think it's going to be up top, Dybala, Mandzukic, Brnadeski. And hopefully... I would like to see a couple goals in this, but um, I'm going to say two nothing for us. Okay, and you know certainly I certainly no problem there. Um, uh, the other Italian team involved uh, Roma against Pilsen, as we mentioned, that's on uh, that's on Tuesday. Uh, Richard, a quick thought there. Uh, Roma def- desperately need these three points, but this isn't going to be as easy as everybody thinks. Pilsen can be pretty pesky. That's why they're at this stage. Yeah, exactly, and they they got a draw against Seska Moscow in the in the first match day, so they're gonna be pesky. Um, Roma, while they did get the win against in the Derby della Capitale, they've been struggling the recent form, and you know who who knows which which Roma team shows up. And as we know, Fanalas, Fanalas, uh, <laughs> and Fazio combined their freaking names. Um, they're they're playing defense, so anything is possible. But I think. Uh, Roma with their talent should prevail on this one, and I'll give them like a uh, a three one or a two nothing win in this. Okay. Um, uh, PSV Inter travel to Holland to take on PSV, uh, managed by Mark van Bommel, formerly of AC Milan, who has hinted that he is treating he will treat this like the Milan derby, so they'll definitely be up for it. But uh, Icardi was rested uh, so that he could be ready to play this game and. Um, PSV shipped in, uh, allowed four goals against Barcelona. I shouldn't say shipped in, allowed four goals against Barcelona. Um, I look at this Inter team and they're going to, re- they're going for the win here. They need to, they're going to want to be on six points heading into those two games against Barca. Uh, and I think that they will go ahead and get it done. I think they're going to grind it out, but Icardi's going to be, Icardi's going to have some involvement in this game. Um, and uh, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll pick him for a goal. And I think that they, They'll concede one, uh, but I think Inter will beat PSV 2-1. So now, Ken, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, for the main event, Napoli, Liverpool, uh, coming off that draw against Serena Zvezda. uh, An understatement to say if Napoli expect to go uh, to the knockouts in the Champions League, they have to win this one. Yep. Uh, Size it up for us. I mean, this is... You know, this is a pretty salivating fixture, I think, as a neutral. I think, you know, Napoli have not gotten a very, uh, you know, good draws in the past. We've already hosted Jurgen Klopp's sides uh, last time he came and coached a team uh, against Napoli in the Champions League. We won 2-1. Uh, that was when he was at Borussia Dortmund. I think that the front three of Liverpool horrifies me. Um, <laughs> if I'm being frank, I think that that's going to be a huge matchup. I think that our back four versus their front three is going to be the pivotal matchup. 
Uh, I think that for us, I think they are a little bit weak defensively on the flanks. And I think that if we can exploit that a little bit, maybe if we can break up the play in the middle of the field, we might be able to get some opportunities. I always feel like the San Paulo is the sort of, is a really big 12th man advantage. And I think that it is the something that can tip the the scales for us. And I think that we're good enough to beat any team in Europe at home. Uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but I don't do predictions. So I'm not going to make a score prediction. But I think that Napoli will be prepared for this match. And I think that matches like this are why we brought in a coach like Ancelotti. And I think this will be a very, very interesting and tough test for Napoli. Well, then I'll, uh, the three of us will all make a prediction then um, <laughs> on your behalf. Uh, I am going to bang the drum for the Italian football, and I am going to give Napoli a 2-1 upset win over Liverpool. I don't know what they're going to do to stop Mo Salah, but I ever so slightly tip Ancelotti over Klopp uh, in terms of experience, in terms of management of a game like this, and a do-or-die situation for Napoli, and I think they're going to find the resources to get the three points in this one. So I'm on record as saying Napoli are going to stun Liverpool uh, 2-1. Julia, how do you like this one? Um, you know, I think a lot of people are counting out Napoli, which they really shouldn't do, because, you know, if you've seen Liverpool's performance over, you know, so far this season and against PSG, you can see that their defense can be exploited. And I think not with Napoli's attack, they can be able to do that. Um, they just have to use their abilities and score whenever they get the chances. Um, they also need a tight defensive game, which is going to be a little difficult. But I'm going to go with a 3-3 draw. Okay. Okay, Richard? Wow, she took the uh, score right out of my mouth. I was actually thinking the same. <laughs> I thought it was going to be a goal fest. Oh, I think it's going to be a goal fest as well. And um, 3-3 was actually where I was going to go too because I, I can see – Liverpool scoring goals, but I can also see Napoli scoring goals at home. So I'm going to go 3-3 with that. And I'll give you a hot take. I think PSV is going to beat Inter. I've been watching PSV this season. I was going to chime in on that too, Richard. I think PSV is a very, very, very good team. They're, they haven't, they're they haven't lost yet. They're PSG yeah. right now, I think. Yep. yep. They, I know that they lost 3-0 at Barcelona, but I don't think that's that, that, that is that embarrassing of an outcome against a team like Barcelona. I think they're going to cause inter-serious problems. I really do. They've been scoring goals, lights out. They have like 19 goals in three games or something. And yeah, they scored 26 goals in nine games. Yeah, yeah that's, it's unreal. <laughs> They've been dominating the Eredivisie, so I, I, I think they're going to be inter. Unfortunately, the, That's the Eredivisie. There's always goals in the Eredivisie. I, mean, I don't want to be Not six or seven goals a game, though. <laughs> Well, who are they playing against? Ajax. I mean, did they score six goals? Did they score six goals on Ajax? They scored three against Ajax, six against I think Feyenoord, seven against another good team. Okay. Crazy, crazy results, and it's not at your typical Eredivisie scores. I'll put it that way. Usually, it's a clo- much, much closer. I mean, I, as a Milan fan, I'm, 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 I, I find it crazy that I'm standing up for Inter, but I, I mean. <laughs> I think Inter are going to nick this, and and uh, you know, and I think that uh, you know, you know, it is what it is. But hey, you never know. I mean, uh, but but that's uh, 
That's the way it is. So that's interesting. Real quick on Europa League, um, Lazio traveled to Eintracht Frankfurt. Milan host Olympiacos. Um, I, uh, Richard, I'll, I'll 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 defer to you on the uh, Eintracht Frankfurt, as you know a little bit about Bundesliga thoughts on quick quick thought on that game. Um, Milan Olympiacos. I I think that we, clearly Milan need to get the three points here. Should get the three points against the uh, the Greeks at home, and and have six points going into those two games against Batiste. Uh, but uh, let's focus on uh, Eintracht Lazio. What to expect? Beginning the season, I would have said with the loss of the manager, Eintracht would lose this game. But they've actually performed very well in the Bundesliga so far, getting surprise results. This is going to be a lot tougher for Lazio than than expected. They need to play well to Deep get Marseille. results. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I say it's going to be a draw on this one, actually. Okay, well, I'm with you there. I think Lazio and a goal draw, two two. Right, um, right, right. That'll be uh, certainly an interesting one. Either of you got a, got a take on the Europa League games on Thursday? Uh, I don't know. All I know is that Eintracht Frankfurt is uh, usually pretty good, especially in Europe. And they have a former Napoli player in Jonathan de Guzman, and he scored this weekend. So that's all I got. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Julia, anything on the Europa League games? Um, you know, I expect Milan to come up with a win. I'm going to say 2 or 3 nothing, and Lazio probably about a 2-2 tie. Okay, uh, excellent, excellent. So we're kind of all on the same page with the Europa League games. And that will put a bow on this edition of the Serie A sit-down. It was a marathon, but thank you for listening. Uh, I, I feel very good that we gave everybody a lot of great content. And we're going to give the listeners a chance to find out where they can track our guests down. And, Julia, the floor is yours for, uh, for plugging Mondo Juve and anything else that, uh, that you want to plug. Have at it. Uh, yeah, I just want to... So thank you for having me on this podcast. Uh, Mondo Juve, you can find it on Twitter and Instagram and also on my uh, Twitter as well, uh, under, JJVills underscore, and uh, vote it for me. Excellent. And uh, Ken, where are we find, what, what are you up to these days? Uh, plug away on your end as well. Yeah, I mean, we, Sempre is going to record on Thursday, so you can find us. You know, on Twitter at SempreSSC Napoli. Uh, you can find me at K underscore Chifredi. Um, You know, we have a pretty solid squad for podcasting this year. We've got Kirsten Schluitz from Unusual Efforts. We've got Rafa, as we've had, and we have uh, Marco D'Onofrio back with us from uh, Stereo Serie So we are really uh, looking forward to getting into the season, you know, off to a bang and we're going to record on Thursday, the day after Liverpool. So ho- hopefully that should be out on Friday. And I'll take this time to pass along our best wishes to James McGee uh, on yes, on yes. his on his future endeavors. A dear friend of ours, a dear friend of the uh, Serie A Sit Down podcast. Uh, Going to miss hearing him on your guys' pods. Um, yeah, over there it's, yeah, it's uh, you know we all wish James the best. I think you know he's a busy guy and he's got a new family, and you know we really respect James and thank him for all the things that he's done for us and the opportunities he's given me and. I know Rafa feels the same way. Uh, specifically, I know he hasn't, you know, we haven't really, he hasn't really gotten too much airtime with Kirsten or, or Marco, but I know for me and, and Rafa, he's definitely given us a lot of good opportunities and, you know, given us the building blocks to continue sempre on. And, you know, we, we can't thank him enough for that opportunity. Excellent. And uh, Richard, anything you're up to, or are we just uh, sticking with the podcast these days? Just sticking with the podcast these days and trying to find sleep anywhere I can. <laughs> it's uh, it's don't, pretty rough. So I, don't blame you. Yeah, so I, I I totally understand where where James is coming from. Um, as always, you can find me at r underscore k h a r m a n on the 
Twitter machine and the Instagram thingamajiggy, as the uh, the other guys last week said. As the Milan Weekly Pod boys say, yeah. <laughs> so, okay, I'm at FTC underscore twenty one, uh, the Calcio consultant. I'm just not keeping up with that blog on WFI, so don't look for it. Um, uh, Fearless Five uh, went four for five this week. Happy to be wrong on Milan on my on my Sassuolo Milan prediction. I thought Sassuolo would win. Um, so I believe now that puts me at uh, 20 out of 30 on the season, and that's correct results. Uh, so 67% clip. Can't complain. There'll be. I'll try to do this in video form this week. If not, uh, try to catch it on Twitter where you can find me at FTC underscore 21. Uh, Syria Sit Down can be found on iTunes and SoundCloud. We have our own pages there. Do subscribe. Uh, we have a YouTube page where you can find our goals of the week. You can find my ugly face doing the Fearless Five uh, predictions for the uh, – uh, upcoming match week um, and we'll uh, we'll kick around some other ideas for good video content as well over there um, at city I sit down on Twitter or Instagram for any comments or complaints uh, but uh, big big thanks to Julia and to Ken thank you both for coming on with uh, Juve playing Napoli we wanted to get one of each this time it makes the podcast a little longer because we got so many voices so thank you both for hanging in there with us tonight I appreciate it guys always a pleasure to come on Thank you very much. No problem. No problem. Thank you guys both. And we'll, we'll have you guys on again, maybe individually uh, down the road. So, um, and for Richard, I'm Frank. Thank you very much for listening. As always, be sure you're telling your paisans about us. Ciao. (laughs) 